The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. The sermon is called A Den of Robbers. A Den of Robbers. Lord, let us not be a den of robbers. No, no. Rather, your holy community set apart for love and good works. We ask that in Jesus' name. In Malachi chapter 3, I love the way this opens. What we're going to talk about is the cleansing of the temple. This uh, mighty work that the Lord Jesus did, and it is quite unusual. It's certainly prophetic in nature, but it was the beginnings of the work of God that he does in the individual human heart as well as in certain geographical locations to extend the gospel, to start a wave of of goodness, if you will, but also of purification. Behold, Malachi said this, he pointed to what the Lord Jesus is going to do. When he says this in the third chapter of um, Malachi, behold, I send my messenger. Think John the Baptist when he prophesies this. And he will prepare the way before me, me being the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the prophet speaking of a fulfillment of scripture hundreds of years before the coming of the Lord Jesus. And he's pointing, I believe, to this particular moment. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand before he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And a fuller soap. Refiners use fire to melt away impurity. And that can be an extremely rough process if you're Bill Jeske. And it can take many years to do it. I want to use myself, but also extend that to all humanity. Jesus, when he came, is symbolized by those two ideas. A refiner's fire, that which purifies with heat and, and light. And also... A type of soap, fuller soap, which was used to make linen and things clean and shiny and perfect. He came to renew us. He came to save us. He came to give us light and value. And everything you always dreamed about and wanted is what he wants for you. But sin has left its crimson stain. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, the sons of Levi being his priests. We're going to be talking about a temple this morning. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, lie, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, greedy, cheats, the widow and the fatherless against those who thrust aside the sojourner, the stranger, the one who's traveling through. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. He sees a dichotomy in, dichotomy in his universe, a, a split personality in, in mankind. We see it in our country. It is bold and sassy. It is nasty. There are decisions being made to cheat, lie, steal, and torment, 
And then there is what is called a Jesus revolution. There are those that are being cleansed with fuller soap and with a refiner's fire. And that's you and me. And we use these slight moments to instill in ourselves the kind of thinking that says, I can do better than this because he lives in me and he is my hope for glory. The Bible says this, that the Lord Jesus, after cursing the fig tree, and the idea there is his dear people, he is Jewish, and the Jewish people have gone south. There's craziness in the land. There is gross adultery. Do not read the last part of Ezekiel. It is so gross, you can't even believe it. The prophet says, this is what's going on behind closed doors everywhere, and you're putting up with it. But that was not my plan or purpose. Basically, that's what the prophet says. And they came to Jerusalem after Uh, uh, taking out the fruit on the tree because it wasn't bearing fruit, the Lord took out the tree. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. What is he referring to? Well, if you can flash up the picture of the temple, if it's on there. The temple uh, was magnificent. Its outward appearance had the glitter of gold. It was to be a house of prayer for all nations, not just the Jewish people, for all nations, because The servant of the Lord was coming to it. It was a place for him and the worship of Almighty God and goodness and loving kindness to to flow. It was a place where a symbolic sacrifice was made at this particular time of year. At Passover, a perfect unblemished lamb was given in the place of all men's sins by one priest one time, representing a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here you see Herod the Great's temple. Now, Herod the Great is, is uh, those that follow this, I'm not an architect nor an artist, that's for sure, but what you see up there in its day was so beautiful as to be stunning. It's one of the many wonders of the world, but one of the finest pieces of architecture ever done. The people that have canonized Herod the Great in this regard say he's one of the great architects of all time. He takes somewhat the, the substrata made up of what was left of Solomon's temple, and on top of that, he builds this amazing building. Now, if we were to look at it from the vantage of this room, here's the holy place, here's the holy of holies. Across the street behind that fence is the court of the Gentiles where there's going to be a cleansing. The court of the Gentiles, but Gentiles could not come across that fence line. If they did, they were to be destroyed. They were so unclean according to the uh, Israeli leadership of that time. Now, never hear in what I say something unique and special about how bad the Jewish people are. Au contraire, they were God's 
chosen people. I used to keep a record of some of the finest Jewish athletes the world has ever seen, and it was stunning how successful they were in almost every discipline. And then you'd look at them as athletes, and you would see the world handball champion or Sandy Koufax, the greatest left-handed pitcher that ever lived. You would see this almost startling thing. Uh, I think his name was Marty Grossman, a left-handed middleweight champion of the world. This kind of thing out of this people that's more known for the scholarship or for music or for whatever. God's hand was upon them. But there had been a great retreat, a great retreat in this particular time and moment. And this gorgeous temple made for the worship of God to become something else. And Gentiles weren't allowed. It's a house of prayer for all nations, it says in here. The word of God said, a house of prayer for all nations. But Gentiles better not come near because if you cross the line of that fence, you are to be destroyed. Very near this, I think it's in the Antonia Fortress, which is somehow pictured in, in, in Israel in that time, were the soldiers of Rome that stayed there in case some craziness broke out between the Jews and the Romes, Romans and the different uh, Gentiles that came in the area. And they could, if called upon, enforce this idea of killing people that were not allowed in the temple confines. Well, who made up that rule? We suspect that it was the uh, shall we say the scribe and Pharisee folks, those uh, political leaders, oh, there's a term of art at the moment, uh, artfulness, more like artful dodging, political leaders that were uh, in charge and had authority over this, and if a Gentile came in, let's kill him. All right, having said that, you have another um, um, a segment that uh, follows in terms of you come into the court of the uh, uh, Gentiles is back there, and much of what, all of what happens here in this thing we're going to look at, in the cleansing of the temple, it happens in that area. Because I'll just jump to it. What was going on there this time of year, which was Passover, is hundreds of thousands of people at a minimum were coming to the city. It was loading up, and people that worked in business saw dollar signs. They did not see legitimate trade. They did not see appropriate prices to be paid. No, they were going to gouge like crazy. One, one thing was you had to have a certain dove to make a sacrifice. They were there. The people came to make sacrifices for their own sins or the sins of their families. It is a holy action filled with faith. It is their one thing they can bring once a year to make a difference in their own heart because sensate people, sensitive people know that when we do wrong or wrong, thoughts attack us and assess us and we invite them in. We're corrupted by it. We're made to be diseased in essence. But if God says he forgives and he takes innocent animals to represent something larger, something more important, and we know it's the Lord Jesus, then by all means, let me get that. But what if they become so expensive through greed that I can't get it? Where am I left then in my uh, small-mindedness? In other words, I could call on the Lord and I would be saved. But this thing symbolized it. It was important. It was an important ritual. And it turns out that some of these guys that were selling these things uh, would sell, it, sell you a dove on the outside, and it would be perfect. The dove was supposed to be perfect that you sacrificed in the inner courts. But the people that adjudge the purity of these birds in the inner courts would say, well, no, didn't you see this? And it's a 
claw or in its beak. There is this tiny mark, and this is not perfect. And they would triple the price that was to be paid. It's pretty awful. It's, if you think about it in terms of a place of holiness, an almighty God, and, and red seas being crossed and battles being won, you're going, what is this small time chiseler doing? You know, this has gone on for centuries. You know this. There are scholars that go to other countries of other religions and see this bartering that's just almost insane to to a, 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 the simple-minded like me. I was in Israel one time, and we were told that if people tried to sell us stuff, we should haggle and fight with them and scrap with them and all this stuff, and sure enough, the price would come down about, let's say, a thousand percent over time. They were trying to take advantage of us. Oh, yes, well, whatever the market will bear, we'll say, but there's something that should be noble in the heart that we will make a uh, uh, give a price that is appropriate, certainly for a sacrificial animal, and to help my people and my brothers. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. Well, there was the court of the Gentiles, then there was the court of the women. They could come in so far. Let's, let's pretend this is the back and that's the front. The court of the women probably would have been on the grass there. And the court of the priests uh, nearer by. And then, then uh, finally uh, we come into the Holy of Holies, which is all the way back here where uh, once a year a sacrifice is made and all kinds of amazing symbols are there. The, the priests rooms and a storage are in the holy place. The holy of holies was there, the veil between basically man and God, the altar of incense, the table of showbread, the lampstand, the porch, it's all back here and clouded and encased and only that priest can, only the one that has the real authority can come in and make a difference in there for you and for me. But what is he really doing? He is symbolizing the coming of the Messiah. And who is the Messiah? Well, we know that secret. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, and they came, Jesus' disciples, to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. What? And he overturned the table of the money changers and the seats of those who had uh, sold, those who uh, sold pigeons and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Again, most of this activity is go happening behind that, that fence. All of it, really. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written? While he's throwing tables. Let me uh, give you the illustration I used this morning. Just an idea of what might have happened here. It is so hard to see the, uh, Jesus, the meek and gentle lamb, starting to chuck tables. It's powerful. But something in the very heart of God had, 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 had been ashamed of this moment and of his people. You'll see it in the Old Testament, corrective measures and symbolic things happening. I remember one time I was going down a sidewalk. There was a girl, two girls standing with me and the captain of a certain North Carolina football team. And we're going down this thing. And I see this guy up ahead of me with two girls. He swings his, his, his I think he had books on his arm. He's, hit like the girls with an elbow. I mean, just in the side of the body. It wasn't in the face or anything. 
but I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. I'd become a Christian, but, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a, a, a novice walk I was doing. And I then yelled, hey, wimp. Uh, I was, let's say, 30 feet away from him. He turns around. He's bigger than I am. And he, in a rage, he throws his books on the ground like he, he's got to take me out. Now, here, here's the point. Jesus is here in this intense moment. And what happened to me was I walked up to him. I said, he said, what do you want? And I said, you just hit those girls. What would you do that for? Words to that effect. And, and what happens is he takes me and he like shoves me. And I, I can tell you, I went blind. Uh, literally. I, I wondered at the Lord. I mean, I mean, this is a retrospective. I, I, I'm weak. I couldn't beat up a flea. I, I, and, but this guy pushed me, and something went red across. I could not see, but my arm began to move, and I punched him in the face. And he realized he'd run into what he didn't expect in the slide. This is at UVA. We're at Newcomb Hall, for those of you that have been there. We start rolling down the hill. We make utter fools of ourselves, and we just separate it. It was too embarrassing and too unbelievable. But the point is that Jesus comes in and sees this. What if the Holy Spirit just came upon him, which I believe it did, and it was so offensive to his heart to separate people from the love of God in the terms of the sacrifice. He's just saying, that's it, or maybe, just maybe he saw red and starts throwing things. I love him for that. He is not willing to let us just be what we used to be. He is not willing to see us die. He is not willing to watch us drink ourselves to death. He'll allow it if we want to stubborn our heart or drug ourselves to death or sex ourselves to death, whatever it is. He's not willing because he's loved. And so he attacks the problem and he has solutions and he loves people and he's come into his temple to do a mighty work of purification. He shall purify. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, he quotes the prophets. Isaiah 56, 7. But you have made it a den of robbers. I remember Handel's Messiah. It's probably from Isaiah. I'm not sure where they sing. And he shall purify. I'm not going to sing it, but he shall purify. And he's doing that work in you and in me. Are we listening? Are we listening? And the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking a way, you know, not saying, that's great. He's cleaning up this ruckus. He's cleaning up this nonsense. He's making a difference in our world. That's what a godly person would have done. Instead, they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. He was changing his world, and it was in opposition from the religious leadership. That, shouldn't, that should have paralleled. That should have been two lines going infinitely into the distance as, as uh, uh, having the same mind and the same spirit. We see the temple, and it is, has allowed corros corrosive influences in it. And in fact, they call them good. They call them righteous. They call them holy when we steal and cheat and commit adultery and do all this crazy stuff. Jesus has come to cleanse the temple. Not simply that particular house of prayer, but Bill Jeske's temple. 
and everyone within the sound of the voice of the Holy Spirit, there is a whispering campaign of the best sort. Has this house, it says in Jeremiah 7:11, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. I'm not in denial about it. He was angry at the exploitation of pilgrims being exploited. He was angry at the desecration of God's temple. There are things that move the Lord to see red over things that are hurtful to his people. And the Bible says, as they passed by in the morning, changing the channel, he has already cleansed the temple. As they passed by in the mo morning, his disciples, they saw the fig tree representing Israel withered away to its roots. Now, at this moment, Jesus is somewhere around 33 years old, we think. And oh, by the way, the picture we have uh, had up there of the temple, no one knows exactly what it looks like. That's just a representation from the imagination of men based on what, what little is said in, by historians. But here they pass by this withered tree, and you'll remember uh, the symbolism of it is a national catastrophe for those who have hardened their heart and are content to do that which is evil and wrong. But, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, listen carefully to this. This is, this is we're, we're very close to the end of what I want to say this morning. There's a temple being cleansed. It is not only the temple of the church, it is the temple of our hearts for greater service, for wonder. But there are weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshy, but they're mighty unto the pulling down of strongholds. Listen to this. I say to you, have faith in God, Jesus answered him. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and this was a common statement, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you and your trespass. It is time to pray in the quiet of our homes. I remember one time uh, I was on a, a Chrysler moped. It was hit, uh, uh, dr driven off the uh, road by a, a school bus. Uh, I went over. I'm staring at gravel as it goes past my visor. I'm on a moped wearing a full helmet, you know, bell. It looked really sharp. And, and, and the, the gravel's going by, and part of the bike uh, pierces me in the leg. I kind of got a, a, you know, a stab wound from the thing. And I went home, and I was a Christian, dedicated Christian. I had prayed about whether I should buy this. It was to save money for the family. You know how that goes, yeah, sort of, but it was. And uh, it had put my life at risk, and I had children. And so I sought the Lord. I said, Lord, I thought you said that it was okay to get this. And the next thing I knew, and within 24 hours, it had been stolen from our property. It was gone. I hadn't made any move to get rid of it. I had been planning to, but it was just gone. Um, somewhat uh, involved at this time was a house we were offered to purchase. 
in Oakton, Virginia. We were living in a dangerous area in Dale City, Virginia with no money whatsoever. We get a call. Bill, would you like to buy this house? I said, uh, it, it is impossible for us to pay for this house. They said, well, how about for this much? Quite a, a much lowered price in uh, kindness to us. Uh, we said, no, no, we, we won't take that. End of story. Thank you so much. About a year or two later, I'm alone, praying to the Lord about a number of things. And he has met me. You know all my stories. He has met me over and over with a whispering campaign in my head that says, do this, don't do this. Go this way, don't go this way. And I say, Lord, there are two things that I can remember, two stark things in my life <clears throat> that uh, we prayed about. And I had felt at the time, he said that one day we would live in that house, that rich man's house. And I said, I prayed about that crazy moped and it just disappeared. Within maybe two days, I'm in my office at the church I used to serve. I get a phone call that says, Bill, we have a yellow Kreidler moped. They knew nothing about this. They do nothing about, I, for whatever reason, I have led to call you and offer you one free. Can you just take it? I took it. I basically, in essence, never uh, used it and finally just gave it away because it was still a dangerous machine. The second one was within a short period of time after that, I'm at Messiah College doing a youth camp. I get a phone call. Bill, we would like you to uh, live in our house. I felt the Lord said I, one day we would live in the house. That couple called us. I said, I still don't have any money. They said, we will rent the house to you for $900 a month. Even back then, that was chump change. This is Oakton Glen, if you know it. It's about one mile from Madison High School. It was a beautiful area. Attorneys lived right across the route, way from us. We had gotten to share Christ with them. I think the, the wife already knew Christ. She became one of the heads of SLM here in, here in the area. God wanted us there, and he made a way. Here's my point. When we ask in prayer, and God says something to your heart, believe, just trust him, that he's going to answer yes or no, but he does miracles. I, I'm equipping you, and I'm going to silence this at this point. The temple's being robbed. It's dangerous. The nation is coming apart. What is he saying to do to all of us? Listen and pray and pray. Prayer must be the prayer of faith. It must be the simple trust. It must also be the prayer of expectation. You have to hope. You must believe. It can be a prayer of charity. And if it's not answered the way you want, do not fear. Hang in there. See what happens. And it may be that you've missed the bus. You were just wrong in your estimate of what the Lord was saying. They came to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? They asked Jesus this. Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I could do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for all held that John really was a prophet. What, what is being said here? Either answer, he gave them such a, a brilliant, in, insoluble mathematical problem to work through in their head. They could not win because John, the prophet of the people, 
was not going to be gainsaid. You couldn't talk trash about him and you couldn't assert your opinions and your authority over him because the people believed that he was a prophet and they had just executed their prophet. So they refused to answer the Lord's questions. They said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. We've concluded the passage. I just want to pray in this way. This is a passage about purification. It's a passage about answered prayer. It's really a, a passage about miracles and the winning, actually, of land that belongs to the enemy by God's man, by God's champion, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lives in you. You are more than conquerors in whatever your situation is. Leon in his schools, some of us in our workplace, others on the teams we coach, you're more than conquerors if you just put your faith and trust in him and see what he does. Let's bow our heads to pray. Lord, let this be a house of prayer. Lord, let us look to your authority. Lord, speak to each individual heart here as to what part they play in the great cosmic game you have created to win our world. Go ye in all the world, you said, and preach the gospel, make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Purify the sons of Levi, the priests, and the people, Lord. Have mercy on us, pardon and forgive us. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, just A, admit you're a sinner and need his help. B, believe he's the only Savior. There is no other name under heaven and earth by which a man or a woman may be saved. And C, choose to follow him. If you do those three things, he comes into you, fills you with his spirit, and gives you eternal life. That's your prayer. He's heard it. And you'll change, for he shall purify his children.